Hey moms, please keep in mind that I am not a mental health professional. This space is simply for creating conversations. If you are in crisis, please dial 988 for the National Crisis Hotline. If you are in danger, please call 911 or go to your nearest emergency department. Now, let's talk. moms. Thank you so much for coming to this episode of Sick Moms. Uh, once again, I'm extremely excited. Uh, I'm particularly excited about this one because we're going to talk about addiction. This is something that uh, has touched my life with my loved ones. And I, uh, I know that there is a lot of stigma around addiction. It's not really understood or Rather, no one really takes the time to understand an addict. They're treated um, like criminals and not like people. So I really want to uh, invite you to listen to Aaron today. Uh, Aaron and I don't actually know how we know each other. We're just social media buddies. So we uh, we connected uh, through the um, podcast request looking for guests. And she said that she would love to share her story about her addiction struggles and hopefully reach even just one mom out there and give her hope. So everybody, I'd like you to welcome Erin Wilkinson. Hi, Erin. Hello, thank you for having me. Thank you so much for being here. Um, this subject is is a tough one and I, I know it's a tough one, but you're, um, I wanna say brave, but I kind of don't like that word. You're more just, um, God, you're strong and you're willing and you're vulnerable. And it's incredible that you are open about your, your struggles and your past. So we were talking a few minutes before the show and you said that you actually struggled with addiction from a pretty young age. Why don't you talk to us about that? Sure. Well, um, as far back as I can remember, I've always kind of experimented with things right um the unfortunate thing about experimenting with things is that I tend to do things in excess so where somebody may have been like let me try this and they tried it and they just moved right along I would um continue to enjoy that so whether that was you know back back when it was like crank and coke and and things like that um I think I was maybe maybe 13 or 14. Um, and even before that, I remember experimenting with weed. Um, I didn't love weed. So that wasn't necessarily something that that stuck for the most part, but that was also pretty young. Um, but I just, I progressed and tried just about anything that came my way. And again, used those things to excess. So it became um, addiction. And, and I've still I still struggle with addiction, right? Even though I'm clean and sober seven and a half years off of drugs and alcohol. Congratulations. Um, it seems like it's really easy to trade one addiction for another, whether it's like food or shopping or pornography or, you know, there's so many different things you can be addicted to. Right now, I struggle with debt. It's so easy to want to just spend money. And, and so 
Um, I do find that it's it's giving one thing up and finding another thing to enjoy excessively. That makes a lot of sense. Um, yeah, I, I have bipolar disorder and when I'm manic, spending is my behavior. Like I have to remove all shopping apps from my phone, change passwords, delete, 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 hand my husband my card. And I'm like, hey, keep me off of Amazon and Sheen. That's right. Um, so I understand that the excessive spending is something you get a dopamine hit from it. Yes. So, um, so we talked about... Um, you know, all the things that you were experimenting with excessively, you had said that you, you landed on one drug, you landed on, you found a thing. Yes. My favorite. <laughs> yeah. The drug of choice is the, what we, what we call it in addiction circles, right? Yeah. Yes. And so that would be pain pills. Um, pain pills was definitely uh, where I landed and found the most enjoyment um, in fact, it got to a point where, um, I couldn't really feel joy, uh, without using pills. And, and in fact, for quite a while after, you know, getting clean, those kinds of feelings did not return. It was a real struggle to, to find something to be happy about, to find something that you could, um, find joy in because you're so used to this feeling of euphoria that you would get, you know, when you were taking pills. I find that so interesting that some people get addicted to opiates so easily. Um, I'm one of those people where an opiate gives me a little pep, right? Takes me out of pain and gives me a little pep. So I know that obviously that that's, that, that that's, there is a possibility. Um, luckily when I've been on pain meds, I haven't dropped into addiction, but I, I get that euphoric, like it feels good, right? but my sister will take them and she is sick as a dog. She's sicker than sick. So she doesn't take them. And I just find it so interesting that some of us are the way our brain chemicals work. Um, you know, we get that little hit of euphoria and some people, it just takes off from there. I envy those people who get sick. Yeah. I had that thought I was on a, just to share, I I'm, I'm hoping that you're, you know, you're not triggered or anything, but, uh, after my back injury last year, I was on Oxy for 10 days. And uh, when I decided that they were too strong, they were too strong and yeah, they felt good. So I told my doctor, I'm like, I don't want to be on the Oxys anymore. I want to go back to the Norco. I had serious withdrawal symptoms. Your body, your body gets addicted so fast. And then yeah. you, in fact, I feel like that's why for me, I continued to use them because, you know, you're as an addict, you mentally go through this, like, oh my gosh, I can't believe I popped like 50 pill, pills over the weekend. Like, I can't believe I didn't die. Like all these things. And you're like, just like with all of the things that I've had problems with, I think like, I'm going to stop, right? Today will be the day that I stop using and then the pain starts to set in mm -hmm. and the feelings start to set in. And the only thing that alleviates those symptoms is using again. Mm -hmm. It's the same thing for somebody who drinks alcohol and they suffer with withdrawals and, and the body has a reaction to that. And it was the same thing with the pills. And so it was always like the only thing that would feel better is to continue to use more. I, I can see that it, it was painful. Yeah. It was painful for me after 10 days. I, I 100% see where that would be so devastating to try to move through. 
So um, let's uh, let's talk about, you know, you're, you're a mom, right? That's why you're here. Yes. You're a mom. Uh, were you using when you're when you had children? Did children come later? Tell me. Talk me through that. Well, I actually became a mother very young. I had my first daughter when I was 14. And, um, and I have children who are now the ages of eight to 28. So I still have young ones at home. Oh, wow. Um, this is something, so I, I shared with you that I'm willing to tell everybody my story. I'm willing to, the the hardest thing for me to admit, and I'm just going to say this to you is to admit that I was in active use during my last two pregnancies. Mm. That still sends shivers up my spine because I cannot believe I ever got to that point. Um, but I will tell you that I had, uh, a, I've had a life full of trauma, but in all of these things that have happened, this, this one particular incident that I would say is the most difficult thing I've ever went through in my life, right? That particular thing happened. And then I got pregnant with one of my youngest two children. And so I was experiencing this trauma. I was reeling from this trauma and uh, my use of pills just spiraled. And, you know, being pregnant, I would tell myself like, this is bad for the baby. This is going to hurt the baby. You know, all those in, and I had all of those thoughts. I had all of those feelings. I had all of that guilt, but I could not get to a point where I could stop. In, in fact, I would say my usage of pills was the worst during those last two pregnancies. I, um, thank you. Thank you very much for sharing that. You know, I, I don't know if people know this, but addiction doesn't go away just because you're pregnant. It, um, it do- obviously does make it harder, right? You think about it, you beat yourself up. There's a lot of guilt, but, um, having a uterus doesn't just, you know, make you not an addict. So, uh, healthy kids, are they okay? They are healthy. Um, I, I count my blessings every day for that. And, um, I know, unfortunately there are children who are born to addiction. My niece was one of them. Um, so I am grateful for that, but at the same time, I feel like it's really important that we, we share Mm -hmm. those triumphs, those, um, difficulties because that, you know, those are the kind of things you try to shove under the rug and then nobody talks about them. And right. right. There's just more shame. I mean, you, right. I, I was just at a conference and this one presenter, the speaker, Jamie Kern, Kern Lima, she always said that if people are looking at you, like you're insane, you just need to say, I'm not crazy. I'm the first. And maybe you were the first mom that just said, you know what I used when I was pregnant and how many mothers are going to say, okay, me too. Now what, now yeah. what? Right. Um, so mm, I have so many questions. I admire you so much, Aaron, uh, with your, with your, um, addictions and your use did this stem from a mental illness was it a symptom or was it addiction purely from substance so in my case I've you know I've gone through a lot of therapy I've done a lot of research there's been all these things but I experienced again trauma as a young child I special I 
I went through sexual abuse. I went through, um, I actually have what's called complex PTSD. So there's PTSD, there's complex PTSD. So basically most of the relationships in my life have been traumatic. And so I believe that I was medicating the symptoms of PTSD, right? Mm -hmm. um, I was not diagnosed with actual depression until about two or three years ago. And of course, that makes one think, okay, well, did I have depression to begin with? You know, was this a way that I was trying to cope with it? Or did it come on because of now I have to experience emotions and feelings without using and that's hard. I'm telling oh, you right now, the worst thing to have to do is go through a heartbreak like my divorce and not be able to just pick. I had, in fact, I, I got clean so that I could leave my husband. And yeah. so, you know, that had to happen and, and it's painful. Like the first thing you want to do is like use so that you can alleviate that pain. So here I am getting clean, experiencing this pain. And I think when I finally got out of the danger zone, I knew my kids were safe. We were away from my abusive husband. Then my body relaxed and was like, oh, by the way, you have depression. <laughs> you know, this is, you know, this is as far as I can see that the, the, the symptoms progress. I don't know if I had it any, any sooner than that, but you know, I've, I've had a lot happen in my life. So it's, it's tough to tell. Okay. So I, I do find that interesting because, uh, you know, PTSD is definitely something that people experience and they do. Um, I, I've, I've talked to a lot of people where PTSD is something that people use, uh, a lot of alcoholics PTSD that I, in my experience, the people I've talked to, um, I don't think I've had as many people talk to me about opiates and meth and whatnot. Um, probably because they were scared to not because they didn't use it. Um, but PTSD, I went through PTSD and it was just situational. I took care of my dad when he was dying. And when he died, I, I experienced some PTSD because it was a pretty terrible death. Um, but it's not complex. It, it's targeted. It's, it's, I mean, I'm aware of exactly what it was and I was able to get treatment for that incident where you've complex PTSD, you've just got layer after layer after layer after layer, and you have to dig through all of that. And you have to dig through all of that without, without using. Yes. So, I mean, emotions are hard, just they're hard anyway. Right. Yep. And when you're used to numbing your emotions and suddenly you're feeling them, you're feeling them really big, really big really big. And I tend to be an empath. If you were to put me on a scale, I'm probably like 90% an empath. I feel things really big. Yeah. I understand that. I, I am an empath as well. And when somebody hurts, I hurt. And when they're joyous, I bask in their joy. Um, but I do understand that. So that would also be really hard. Um, I mean, again, just projecting as if you were, if you were using drugs, you were probably around a lot of people that were using drugs and those people were probably in a lot of pain too. So yes, I, I was, this is, this is going to sound weird. I was one of those people who, who did not want to use in front of other people. So oh. in my younger years, like, you know, I had certain friends that I would get high with, but for example, when I started using meth with my husband, I didn't want to get high in front of him. Like I was ashamed. Mm -hmm. 
Okay. I did not. I felt he was getting high and I was getting high, but I somehow felt like if he saw me getting high, that it it made it worse. I. That's <laughs> I interesting. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So, Shame. so how long were you? You said fourteen, and you've been sober seven and a half years. So how how many years were you using substances? Um, I was math. thirty. Five, let's see. Yeah, 35 when I got clean. So 20 so, over 20 years. Yeah. And you uh you made it out to the other side, Aaron. I did. So what did what did how? How? God. Okay. Um I, why don't I share a story with you about mm-hmm. when I decided to change my life? It it was a personal decision. It was not, you know, the state didn't step in, the police didn't come. It was, it was a decision. And so I had, um, I had actually been using meth because that's what I used to get off of the pills. So I had been using meth for, I don't know, maybe six months, nine months, something like that. Um, and started doing things like, um, I was working as a cam model, something I swore I would never do. Um, I basically spiraled into what I call my my rock bottom for the third time. And I wanted to die. Like I decided I just wanted to die. I don't know if that meant like just kill myself or just not wake up one day. Like I was okay with whatever that would be. And I just, I remember sitting in my room. I was in this chair. I, I'm pretty sure I was in the same chair for like a couple of days, right? And all these thoughts are coming through my head. And and I I just knew that I wanted to die. And so I was thinking about all those things. And then I realized that if I died, my children would, would go to my ex-husband, who was my husband at the time, who was in active addiction as well. And I thought, my kids are going to become addicts. Like that thought, like, if I kill myself, they are probably going to become addicts. That's their life. That's what's going to happen. And I didn't want that. I didn't want them to become addicts. I didn't want them to live the way that I did. And so I decided to get clean. And I did. I I had to leave my ex-husband because you can't get clean when somebody else doesn't want you. You can't do that. So I, I left him and started making better choices. (laughs) um and I had some kind of spiritual experiences happen right before I decided to get clean um some pretty incredible experiences that helped kind of guide me that's excellent yeah so um you've been clean for seven and a half years yeah so you said your youngest is eight so baby right when this happened, when you got clean. Yes. Um, and your older ones would have seen you in active addiction. So, I mean, I can't, I mean, we could talk about that probably forever, but now that you're clean, how do you think maybe your substance abuse has affected the way you are raising your younger children and your relationship with your older children? My my relationship with my older children who were old enough to understand what was happening was very strained at the time, right? Obviously they're seeing what's happening. They don't like it. They, they understand what's going on. And so our relationship was, was not good. 
the younger kids were too young to understand. So as I started going through this process, my older kids, they're my biggest supporters, right? They're like, really, really proud of mom. I am so, you know, grateful for, for how far you've come. And they just love that. And um, with the younger ones, I've been transparent and honest. You know, both of your parents have addiction problems. And so these are things we need to talk about, right? You can't just act like life is normal. Your dad's normal. I'm normal. And you go about your business because th they're at a high risk for addiction as well now. And so we talk about it. We talk about, you know, why they weren't allowed to see their dad. It was an act of addiction. You know, why I had to do the things I had to do was because I was an act of addiction, you know? So our relationship is much stronger. I think we're, we're able to talk about really hard things. That's really excellent. Yeah. That's really excellent. Um, I know I know quite a few people who did not open that wrote that door back up with their parent. Um, and I think it's absolutely marvelous that your children were there for you. Um, wow. So um, let's talk a little bit more. Oh gosh. I, I really, I seriously, I don't even know where to go. I'm so fascinated by you. Um <laughs> I'm really, I, I'm going to say it over and over again, but it's just amazing that you're here talking to us. So when you got clean, did you, what, what kind of treatments did you decide to do? I mean, did you, did you walk away and never touch it again? Did you go to NA? Did you um, smoke a lot of cigarettes? I mean, what did you do? I definitely smoked a lot of cigarettes. I, I did, I, you know, I quit smoking cigarettes within about three months too. And I remember my dad saying, maybe you could just smoke a little bit longer. <laughs> he was really worried about like, how are you going to manage all this stuff and, and quit smoking? But I did, I quit smoking too. So. Um, but it's interesting. I went to church. I mean, people always kind of have this reaction to what I say, but I've been through recovery and rehab, well, not necessarily rehab, but, you know, I've gone to classes and all of those things throughout my life. It's not like this is the first time I tried to get clean, right? I've tried it several times throughout my life. And so I didn't go to any classes this time. I didn't go to a 12-step program. I literally picked up the Bible and started reading the scriptures and this is going to sound unbelievable, but this is true. I promise you. Okay. I had met a woman in Las Vegas and she was hitchhiking down the road. I picked her up. Okay. And turns out she was a hooker. This hooker knew every single scripture in the Bible. And she's actually the one that said to me, like, you know, God loves you. I thought, what? <laughs> you know? I, I grew a relationship with her and I would call her every single day, first thing in the morning. And, sh and she would just start talking to me about God. And that relationship really opened my heart to the possibility that there was something and someone out there that could help me. Wow. That's really beautiful, Erin. It is. So do you have... Hmm. Do you have a favorite scripture that you lean on when you need to? Uh, well, I have several, but the first one that I 
remembered was Philippians 2.14, and it is do, do all things without murmurings and disputations. So basically, just do it without complaining. I like that. <laughs> so, yes. I, uh, I am not sure where I stand right now. Just, just to be completely transparent, um, transparent. But uh, for a long time, I was uh, going to church, and I was, I was very. I, I would say I'm spiritual, but I'm, I'm not sure where I'm at on the religion side, right? right. Uh, but Jeremiah twenty nine eleven was mine. I even got it tattooed. Uh, for I know the plans I have for you, declared the Lord, plans for hope and a future, not for destruction and despair. And that was really good for me because of my bipolar disorder. When things were really bad, I knew, I knew that I was made for good and that I just had to be okay for a little bit longer and things would be better. I love that. So, you know, we all, we all have those things and it doesn't have to be the Bible. It can be a quote. It can be a, I mean, a line from a song. When you catch that fire, you need to cling to it. And I, I do think that's beautiful. Are you still actively going to church? I am. That's wonderful. Do you feel like it still helps? Yes. Good. In fact, I think it makes all the difference. That's wonderful. It's wonderful. So um, for a lot of moms out there that may be living in addiction, church isn't going to hurt and it just might help. You know, what's funny. I remember like the first time I walked in there, I I had this thought that I was just going to like burst into flames. Like oh. <laughs> I walked through the doors and like, you know, they, <laughs> it doesn't happen that way. You walk through the doors and you're, you're generally greeted with love and support and open arms. Yeah. Yeah. Why? Uh, this is an addiction, but we're going to just talk because now we're in it. So I was pregnant and I had left my, uh, my, my baby's father. And I actually was really alone. Um, I had my parents, but I didn't know how much I had my parents, but I was searching for something and I decided to go to church and I walked into a very large church and not a single person said a word to me for the entire two and a half hours I was there. And I sat in the back seven months pregnant, bawling my eyes out. And I knew that's not the way it was supposed to be. I don't know what happened. They overlooked me. Somebody assumed somebody else talked to me, whatever the case was, but I didn't give up. I walked into another church the very next week and I was hugged. I was embraced. I was scooped up. I was sat down with the most wonderful ladies. Um, they threw me a baby shower after knowing me for a month. And when my son was born and he didn't have a father, um, I didn't baptize him, but I, I christened him and every man in that church, including the young boys walked up and laid hands on my son, pledging to be a father figure for my son for as long as he would ever need it. So I know the power, right? The power of church and the power of people and the power of um, God and spirituality. And I, I understand all that, regardless of the fact that I messed up and don't know what I'm doing right now, right? You're I, not messed I, up, I, you're just learning. Yeah, I'm learning. I'm relearning. I'm learning. You know, I haven't landed yet, but I, 
it, it was a saving grace for me in my absolute most devastating time in my life. I walked into the right church. Um, you go into one church and maybe you have a bad experience, just go to a different one. Just go to a different one. You know, right. it's it's just like anywhere else. You know, you just walk in the wrong room. But yes, and I would also room. say too that we need to remember those experiences, right? Like maybe next time you'll be the one that reaches out to the person who's coming and frightened and scared and just needs to know that they're loved. And so yeah. I feel like as long as we remember those experiences and use them for good, then... That is something I have a really hard time seeing somebody walk into a situation alone. I do tend to be that person to go and scoop them up. Oh, it's a good lesson. Probably from that experience. I'm sure it is. Yeah. So, um, Aaron, we have a little bit more time left. I don't want to jump off. Um, I mean, what else can you tell us about, about your incredible journey? What, what else can I tell you about my incredible journey? Well, I think what I want to say right now is I, I am very passionate about addiction. I'm passionate about spreading the word because it is such a, it's something that when you mention addiction or that person who is addicted, it's really just looked down upon. And I have lost, uh, my brother overdosed and died my niece and my nephew, both. Um, I lost them both to an overdose. And I also lost my best friend. And I can tell you that all of them were good people. I know my niece was trying her hardest to get clean. She was clean and relapsed and that relapse took her life. Um, I think we need to look at people who have problems like addiction as people, Mm -hmm. as friends, brothers, mothers, fathers, you know, all of those things and not as the mistakes. Um, it's, it's easy to become addicted. Nobody ever starts with like, Hey, I'm just going to try this once. And they try it once. It's usually you pick up a meth pipe and then you continue to pick up a meth pipe. You have no idea when you pick that up that you're going to continue to want to use the substance. Right. I, uh, without going into detail, there is somebody who was very close to my family that struggled with addiction for many years. Um, they actually had one of the most tragic and terrible childhoods I think I had ever heard about. And their addiction was 100% trauma response and pills and meth were their drugs of choice. And when they, they would get clean bits, you know, months here and there and absolutely wonderful human being. And when they were using, they weren't a bad human being. They were just using, right. And it's the same situation. This person went to prison for several years and, um, was clean. And then 12 days out of prison, uh, they relapsed and died. And I think back about this person and, they were never treated for mental illness. They were treated like they were a criminal because they were caught with drugs. They were never given rehab, right? They were never, they were, I mean, other than us saying, Hey, go to rehab. Nobody actually took their hand and said, let's go to rehab. No one said, let me go sit in these classes with you. 
no one treated them like there was an underlying issue and that addiction was the symptom of it. They treated them like an addict. And it absolutely breaks my heart because I see the hurt all around that was caused by this. And I think a lot of it is that the system's broken. The way we treat in society and in Idaho, in our state, the, the, the way addicts are treated, they're not getting treatment. They're getting punished. They're getting punished for something that oftentimes is a symptom from an underlying condition that's not being recognized. I would agree with that for sure. So, um, you know, being sober for a few years and just being thrown out into the world from prison and being like, okay, be grown up, do your thing, be good. How, how, how could, how could you just expect that without any tools? You know, what's interesting is it's something that I think about quite, quite frequently, obviously, as I, as I pass each, you know, milestone, half year, another year or whatever. Um, I used to think that the hardest thing to do was getting sober. I do think it's harder to stay sober because once you pass those first couple milestones where people are really excited for you, you know, they're, they're cheering you on like, Hey, you've got your 90 days. You've got, you know, people are happy that you're, you're sober. Life continues to go on and life continues to be hard. And, um, we are now traversing these things like we never have before experiencing these emotions, these feelings without a crutch to turn to. And so I, I like when my brother overdosed, I remember at his funeral, like everybody was smoking. I mean, it's smoking cigarettes. It's still an addiction. And I just wanted to smoke so bad. I wanted to go buy like a carton of cigarettes. And then I was like, you know, addiction is what killed my brother. I do not want to pick up a cigarette again, but it's those triggers, right? The pain, things that happen in our life. It's so hard to stay sober after, you know, experiencing life as hard as it is. You don't just get clean. It's an no. act. It's a verb. You are sober and yes. sober is a verb. You do so. You don't know if you're going to be clean tomorrow. Right. It's a choice. You have to make that choice every day. Wow. Yeah. Erin, this has been absolutely fascinating. And I really, again, appreciate you being one of those moms that scream from the rooftops. Um, I know that you're going to reach a lot of people. And uh, if you, I mean, if you have any last words of advice, we'll take them now. Words of advice. Anything profound? I don't have anything profound, but I will say this, never give up hope. Got it. Yeah. All right. Well, Erin, keep spreading the word. Keep talking about what you, uh, what you went through. Um, I'm really excited for other moms to hear your message and know that they're not alone. They can share your struggles. They can share your triumphs. You could be a beacon of light. You could just be something that makes them feel good for a minute. Um, I appreciate you as well. Thank you for having me and for your platform to share with other sick moms um, <laughs> so that we that we know that we're not alone. That's the most important thing. You're not alone. We're not alone. And the more we talk about it, the less alone we're going to feel. 
Okay. I, I, uh, I do want to encourage everybody to, to, to talk about it. Maybe don't, don't dump everything on a stranger. Uh, you need to feel out where your safe space is and who your tribe is, but you can share yourself and share little bits and, and make sure that you're sharing with a trusted individual, but start sharing it and, and talk about the dirty stuff. Cause chances are somebody else out there has gone through what you went through or is going what you're going through and can be a, a help, a beacon. Um, you know, if you've gone through it and you talk about it, like Aaron did, you could be that hand up for someone who's about to lose it. And I know the more we talk about it and we talk to each other about it, the less dirty and shameful these things are going to be. And they're just going to be things, things that we go through, things that we experience. And as moms, we feel like we have to have everything, um, you know, packaged up and pretty and perfect. And damn it, that's not the way life is. That's just not the way life is. And we need to create conversations like this with each other. So Aaron, thank you so much for being on. Um, I appreciate you and uh, moms will talk soon. Hey moms, just to remember that I am not a mental health professional. This space is just for creating conversations. If you are in crisis, please call the National Crisis Hotline at 988. If you are in danger, please call 911 or go to your nearest emergency department. Talk to you soon.